Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to The Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Professor Deborah Dash Moore of the University of Michigan. In recent years, she's been teaching and studying documentary photography and has been involved in the Shane Street Project, a public history project in Detroit. She's also engaged in a number of major editorial projects, including the three-volume award-winning City of Promises and serving as an editor-in-chief of the 10-volume Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you, Lisa. Very, nice very excited to have you here. You um, delivered a lecture at the center many years ago, which just uh, captured me. It was just really wonderful. So. That's right. It was a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. Very much looking forward to speaking with you now. And also, um, you will be at the Yiddish Book Center for a weekend program, um, an upcoming program. And it's titled Beyond Naked City, Jews and Urban Photography. So uh, before I go any further, I have to ask you a little bit about what's behind the title. So uh, the title draws upon a very popular book that the Jewish-American photographer Ouija did uh, right at the end of World War II, actually. It was called Naked City, and it compiled uh, photographs that he had taken mostly as a photojournalist. But he pulled them together in a book that claimed to portray New York. And one of the things that Ouija was known for were his crime photography, um, pictures of um, murders, um, pictures of fires, uh, pictures of uh, various kinds of criminals getting arrested, um, men in drag and stuff like that, uh, and in general sort of mayhem uh, on the streets of New York. So it fit in with a sense of New York as a dangerous city. And a couple of years after the book came out, there was a movie with the same title called Naked City. And Ouija was thrilled to go to Hollywood. (laughs) So uh, he was an advisor on the movie and really wanted to leave behind... um, his work as a photojournalist and, you know, with uh, following the police beat. Uh, so Beyond Naked City uh, suggests that there's more to New York than the noir uh, vision that Ouija had of crime and um, the underside of, of the city. Will you indulge me for a second here and let's just take a little turn? What drew Ouija to this, and what was he doing before he was sort of drawn into these scenes and capturing them? So Ouija um, arrives as an immigrant. His, his name was uh, Arthur Felix, actually Usher Felix. Uh, he uh, anglicized it to Arthur, came from um, Hungary. And he uh, arrived in family lived on the Lower East Side. Um, he left the family relatively early because they were quite poor and uh, got into photography by helping a uh, street photographer who would go around to people's homes. He, this was in Brooklyn with a pony. And um, they put the key 
kid on the pony mm-hmm. and take a picture of the kid on the pony and then come back and, you know, once they developed the picture and printed it and would get money. And after a while, um, Ouija figured he could do this himself. Um, and indeed, he did some of that. And then he worked specifically at a developing house, um, developing film and printing it. And so those were his pathways into photography. And in some ways, these were, for those those years of the late 20s and 30s, they were fairly uh, standard pathways into photography. You didn't go to school necessarily to become a photographer. Um, if you were interested, you got a camera, you sort of semi-apprenticed, um, you learned how to do things, uh, and then if you were good, you went out on your own and began taking pictures. And Ouija was a good photographer, there's no question. Mm-hmm. Um, and his niche became photographing the, the city. He, he did a lot of photographs for a um, newspaper called PM. That was a, it was an afternoon paper in New York, and it was started on the principle that uh, people would spend a little more for paper if, even though it didn't have advertisements. And PM really wanted to include photographs as a regular part of the newspaper. So what they would do, um, and Ouija was part of this, is that they would try to educate their readers on how to read a photograph. And there would be these little photo essays in the newspaper, this is a daily paper, um, explaining, you know, what's a good photograph, what's a bad photograph, um, what's a photograph that's been staged, what's a photograph that's not been staged, when are people really happy and when are they not happy, what does a sad person look like? It's, it, it's, there's some fascinating stuff. Um, in PM as uh, they're trying to um, essentially create um, photographic literacy in their New York readers. In in doing that, did they um, create literacy for the immigrant in terms of experiencing a new country? I mean, that may be a weird question, but... Um, So photography was used earlier for immigrants, let's say the the Farvets, mm-hmm. daily Farvets, um, ran a regular rotogravure section. It was called. Um, that was the method of reproducing the photographs. Most of those pictures were pictures of the old country, um, and they, uh, you know, they they wanted to let their readers what the old country is like, right? I mean, it was a while. These are the immigrants. But some of them were focused on immigrants. In some cases, they invited in immigrants, in fact, to send in their own pictures, pictures of, you know, they had beauty contest pictures, they had pretty baby pictures, they had, you know, things like that. So um, to learn about America, I guess, is what your question is, is that to educate immigrants. Photography uh, wasn't targeted in that way towards immigrants yet. 
Yeah, yeah um, and that that makes sense to me, Deborah. I guess I, it was a very kind of convoluted question, but in regards to PM, I just wondered if it drew in an immigrant population because it's a visual medium and not a written um, word in the language ah, they might not understand. Yeah, mean, does it does it help them to understand how to navigate our aspects of a new culture? And again, it may be a really weird I, question. I think so. I mean, so Lizzie took pictures of, you know, people at the circus, you know, watching this. He, he really liked to take a lot of pictures of crowds, of, of people watching other things. So whereas you might think the photographer would be interested in what they were watching, very often some of his most interesting pictures are of people doing the watching. Because when you're in a city like New York, things happen all the time, and people stop and they watch them. Mm-hmm. And the, he, has, as a photographer, we captured that. One of his most famous um, pictures is he called it their first murder, and it was a, a shot of kids who had just gotten out from school looking at somebody who had been murdered. You don't see the person who's been murdered; you just see the responses on the kids' faces. Now, does that help to educate immigrants? Um, Yes. I think immigrants would have enjoyed looking at these photographs. Um, But would immigrants have paid the extra money for PM? Cost a little more, let's say, than the Yiddish Barbers. That I'm less sure about. Um, So who... Who were some of these Jewish urban photographers, and uh, and maybe what what informed them? So many of the Jewish urban photographers were actually not immigrants, um, like Luigi. Um, they were born in the states uh, and grew up. Many of them in New York City itself. Um, you have people like uh, Sid Grossman and Saul uh, Liebson, who were young men fell in love with photography. Um, they met at City College. Uh, one grew up in the Bronx, the other one in, in um, Harlem and Upper Manhattan. Uh, they created something called the New York Photo League, uh, where they worked to teach photography um, to other young people like themselves uh, who were, you know, in, in their late teens or early 20s. Um, it was a mix of a, of a club. It had a dark room. Um, there were classes. Uh, so that's sort of one cluster of, of people. It drew women as well as men. Um, a woman like Rebecca Lepkoff, Helen Levitt, who grew up in Brooklyn, um, exhibited there. And what, what linked these photographers, Jewish photographers, was a commitment to photographing on the street. Most of their pictures are of a genre that's often called street photography. It's also called documentary photography, but very specifically, they walk the streets, and they wanted to convey the sense of New York City neighborhoods. So they often, in the late 30s, before World War II, they often collaborated on uh, 
photographing a particular neighborhood or even in some cases a particular street. Someone like Walter Rosenblum, who comes um, in the late 30s to the New York Photo League, is part of a team of people taking pictures of Pitt Street on the Lower East Side. Um, the most famous of these um, collaborative projects was one called Harlem Document, where they went up to, uh, to Harlem to photograph. And the preparation that the photographers made for their, uh, before they went to take the pictures is pretty impressive. You know, they get to know the neighborhood, they laid out what kinds of things they wanted to photograph, etc. It's very interesting. And was there an audience for the work? Did they, was this their livelihood? No, it wasn't their livelihood. Um, the livelihood for the more successful ones came from someone, something like what uh, Ouija did, which is to say photojournalism. This, in 1936, Life magazine gets started, Look magazine gets started. These are these picture magazines, and opportunities for photojournalists is really expanding. Um, but did people see the photographs? Yes, people saw the photographs because they they worked hard to show their photographs to the community. So the, the photographs were in some ways meant to mirror the community back to itself, and their aim often was to um, energize the community to face the issues that it had to face to try to, to mobilize them to uh, political kinds of action as well. So uh, there was an important political dimension to the photography. It was not necessarily commercial photography. Mm -hmm. um, even though these are such sought-after prints nowadays. Um, nowadays? So, yeah. But, <laughs> it's just you know, amazing. But yeah. really, for the years after World War II, when they're also taking, nobody was interested in prints. The, then, after World War II, um, a, a number of them, the photographers, someone like um, Saul Leiter, for example, um, makes a living doing um, photographs of uh, poor clothing, right? um, photographs, women's clothing, hats, and whatnot. Um, so the garment uh, industry um, absorbs some of these as a way of uh, some of these photographers work that that's their day job, that's how they make a, a living, and then uh, they take their own photographs on their own time. Did they see themselves as sort of defining their work as as documentary photographers and, and doing this? Uh, you talk about how they prepared for these photo shoots, so it wasn't like a reportage where they came upon something um, necessarily. Um, but were they defining a, a type of photography? Were there roots to what they were doing? Yes, they saw themselves as documentary photographers, and they pulled together for themselves a kind of history, both of photography, but specifically of documentary photography. So um, one of the people whom they admired immensely was a man named Louis Hines, who started taking photographs at the very beginning of the 20th century. Hein was um, uh, born in, uh, grew up in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and comes to New York to teach at the um, 
uh, ethical culture school. He had studied sociology and then turned to the camera as uh, a way of doing sociology, of documenting immigration. He goes to Ellis Island in 1905 and, and documents immigrants. He goes around the country, but especially to the south, to document child labor. He um, goes into the mines also for, uh, to, to document labor. Later in the um, early 30s, when the Empire State Building is going up, he does a fascinating series documenting the building of the Empire State Building. So he's one of the documentary photographers whom people at the Photo League discovered. Um, it was late in Hein's life. In fact, Hein dies shortly after an exhibit that they helped put together of his work. But that's part of what they see as a tradition of documentary photography. They are not interested in what was called art photography at the time, um, which in their mind meant, you know, pictures of flowers or landscapes or nudes or, you know, as they also saw that as bourgeois photography. This was not of uh, interest to them. So they did try to see themselves as documentary photographers. The other great influence on them are the photographers of the uh, New Deal and the New Deal projects, the Farm Security Administration, or FSA, it's often abbreviated, um, photographs that were produced starting um, in, the, uh, in the 1930s after uh, Roosevelt entered um, office, uh, Franklin Roosevelt entered office. And those photographers were also documentary. Um, they were producing very powerful uh, images of uh, farm life in America and later expanded also to look at uh, small towns and stuff. They were given what were called shooting scripts, um, from the man, a man named Stryker, who was running the program. But these photographers, like Walker Evans, um, Arthur Rothstein, Ben Sean, who did some FSA work, um, these photographers also uh, influenced them a lot. So there were these two um, types of photographers who... Um, exerted an influence because these um, men and women at the New York Photo League were, were trying to, to give themselves a kind of, of history, right, that they mm -hmm. were, were going to be part of. Yeah. Interesting, because I was going to ask you how they sort of saw themselves in the context of their non-Jewish contemporaries or other contemporaries. Um, so that's interesting. And I'm, I'm going to move to... Women Walkers, which is a lecture title you have again for the upcoming program, and pose your question back to you. Do you think we do see the city differently through these women's work? I do. <laughs> yes, I think we see the city differently. Look, you know, we're at a moment now um, where people are really conscious of the male gaze and the freedom that men have 
say things on the street, to um, accost women, to right, um, that that they own the streets, right? and they certainly owned the streets back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Uh, and so, one of the ways in which women could come to see the streets was to put a camera around their neck and uh, walk. That allowed them to look at things that otherwise they would not have been able to do. You can stare through the lens of the camera. And women's stares are different. Now, it's true that men take pictures of kids as well as women do, um, but some of their pictures are, um, I would say, more intimate than those of men. Uh, when women take pictures of men on the streets, you often get a sense of a kind of um, erotic charge to the way in which the men look back at the women. Um, if it had been a man taking the picture, that wouldn't have been there. So, yes, I think there are differences. Um, now, um, are there differences in a broad sense about how women see things versus how men see things? Um, not necessarily, but we're talking about photographs that are taken of people, mm-hmm. and these are interactions. Right? People uh, are looking. Um, they exchange looks. Sometimes they avoid the looks. Um, so there's a kind of um, economy of gazes on, on the streets uh, that women photographers are become part of. Um, they're, they're negotiating. So what drew you to these New York photographers? Oh, gosh. Um, what drew me to them? They're wonderful photographs <laughs> and wonderful photographers. But, okay, there is a specific story. So back in 2001, I um, published a book called Cityscapes, A History of New York and Images. And I had started on the book, which I I did together with a colleague and friend named Howard Rock uh, back in the 90s, the mid-90s. It actually had been Howard's idea. And Howard said, you know, we should try to update another book that was called The Columbia Historical Portrait of New York. I said, okay. You know, it's true. It's it's out of date. It's come out in the 50s. And, you know, there were hardly any pictures of African Americans. There were, you know, it, it just had a very old style. It certainly was not a Naked City kind of book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it was all upbeat and a, a lot of emphasis on the wealth of the city and stuff. Um, so I agreed, and he took the first half of the book, the early part, and I took the second half starting after the Civil War. And photography um, was becoming more and more widespread then, and I was just fascinated with the photographs. And in order to publish photographs, you probably know you have to get permission. So as I'm looking at really thousands of photographs for this book, um, I realize I don't have that much money. So I need to ask when we got into the 20th century, these photographers, if they would be willing to be 
not paid a great deal for me to publish their work. And I sent out a whole bunch of letters, and some people basically said no, and others said yes, and then they said, but where did you see my photographs? So I would say, oh, I went to the New York Historical Society, or I went to the New York Public Library. And they said, oh, that's just a small number. Why don't you come to my house? or come to my studio, or come to my apartment. I I have many more to show you. And so I started to do that. And I met the photographers and saw, of course, a whole bunch more photographs. And then I began to realize, oh, I'm meeting one Jewish photographer after another. (laughs) It sort of dawned on me. The Cityscapes is not a Jewish book. It's a book about, you know, everybody who lives in New York. But that was the, the genesis of how I became interested in these New York Jewish photographers. I met a bunch of them, um, and I just, you know, sort of fell in love with their work and the photographs. Well, um, it will make for a wonderful weekend program. I thank you for joining us today. I don't want to have any spoiler alerts by asking you too many more related questions. Okay. We'll save no, that no. we'll save that for the lectures. <laughs> so again, it's um Deborah Dashmore, the the weekend program here at the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts is titled Beyond Naked City: Jews and Urban Photography. It takes place on October 26th through the 28th. For details, visit yiddishbookcenter.org and look in the education department listings. Um, Thank you again, and we're so looking forward to welcoming you here. I can't wait. All right. Be well. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Sarah Blakefeld. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon.